I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Podcast ain't played nobody. The intro is going to be completely different because we're going to go straight into it. Just don't yeah. worry. Just sit there. Okay. Here's what you missed. Here's what you will never hear. It's the lost tapes. Okay. It's not even B-sides. Uh, we went through a show intro. Uh, we did a little funny bit where I castigated Bill for having travel troubles and being gone and not paying attention to the podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh, reverse roll. Ah, funny. Because, you know, the reporter who normally goes out and he's the one who jerks around the podcast schedule because I travel more than Bill. Blah, blah, blah. Bill spent the night in Charlotte because he didn't have to or there was a plane thing, whatever. Okay. Um, we have a limited amount of time to get this show done. It's already yep. Friday as we record this because yep. we've had a jacked up week. And I have a Vox issued laptop that is dying in a slow spectacular kind of blood and mucus type of way um so we are going to bootstrap this bad boy because i have a functioning laptop for just a little bit more but as soon as it starts talking about the ability to see its dead grandfather then it's probably going to shuffle its mortal coil this is podcast name played nobody it's a uh, college football podcast of uh no it's a marriage of numbers and words yeah that. i'm a little shook right now don't worry i will fight through it that's the robot Bill Connolly. He's the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system and the author of multiple books. You can reach him at SBN <clears throat> underscore Bill C. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38 Godfrey. I think in the original show intro, I did a little bit about the NCAA tournament. Don't worry about it. Um, I hate your team. I hate this laptop right now more. You like Wofford, though. <sighs> Belmont. Wait, are you on Wofford? Well, I mean, Wofford is go- is still alive, so yes. Uh, I was just pump- I was just pulling for Belmont because I live next to Belmont. Um Okay, we were doing a little tete-a-tete. We're gonna skip all that. Don't worry about it. Um, we have about sixty minutes. It's been a uh, it's been a rough shot week for us, just in terms of this podcast. However, rather than trying to retape, you know, just the the genuine improv original joy that comes from the first take, we're just gonna get right to it. Okay, we were about to start talking about the Sun Belt. Then we're gonna do some questions. We'll talk a little bit about this nonsense over in the Pac-12, and then we're gonna get out of here. <laughs> Um, we, we are podcasting at our own to, to our own detriment, by the way, because by posting a shortened podcast uh, that that uh, you know doesn't include as much wit, people aren't going to listen as much. We're posting it on a Friday afternoon. It's going to hurt our our download averages, but mm. we're doing it anyway. Let me because, tell you what I feel about that. Yeah, um, we're, we're going to do it anyway because it's what we do. Also, we were do, we're not doing it. For, hey, man, we don't do this for the numbers. We do this for the fans. <laughs> um, yeah. Woo, I, always, no, no, I, I will say this. Retweet, I, by the way, that, that tells you that uh, my Georgia Southern football preview that just went up is nice and positive and propaganda-ish. So I'm happy. Um, I, I look, I, I have a couple handful of podcasts that I love and, and I do base certain events in my week around them. So I know that feel. Okay. You guys are okay. We're getting it. We're going to get you some form of this. Product. Also, this is just. This is the cosmic power of college basketball. It, it has no relevance whatsoever except for the two weekends that it does. And, and then it has total relevance. So maybe it's just an existential sort of like. Fate is telling us not to podcast right now. Giant Tom Izzo screaming at us to go away. Um, the hell with that. Let's talk about that damn Sunbelt. And then we're going to take some questions. We're going to talk about how jacked up the Pac-12 is. And I'm going to run this whole podcast editorially from a four-year-old cell phone. 
Um, I am working. Um, I'm doing my Athlon stuff. Are you doing Athlon stuff this year? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So our friends over at Athlon Sports Magazines, um, they have us contribute to the college football uh, preview. One of the things I did this week was I put together the um, anonymous scouting profile for the Sun Belt. I bring that up only because you have started the Sun Belt preview, so we have a lot of Sun Beltiness to talk about. Oh yeah, oh yeah, all the Sun Beltiness. All the Sun Beltiness to talk about. Um, I'm going to vamp as I try and pull up your preview on my phone right now, so I don't even touch this laptop. Bill, could you tell us who's on that ass end of the Sun Belt? Well, the ass end of the Sun Belt previews started with Georgia State. Um, Ooh. which, uh, you know, struggled a little bit more than, than I thought they would. It was pretty clear they were going to fall back, uh, in 2018 with after, after what they lost, but then they fell back a lot and we'll see what that means. I think their trajectory is still okay. Uh, he's still recruiting pretty well. Yeah. And, uh, he did just lose his offensive coordinator trick it to, to West Virginia. Uh-huh. But I think, I think things are probably, they're still not going to be very good this year, but like long term, I think they're probably still okay. Then from there, we moved on. We finished last week with good old South Alabama. Um, I that that might have been of the I think thirty three previews I've written so far. That might have been the hardest one to write. Um, Why? Well, just sometimes like sometimes I have the intro in my head. Like it's been in my head for like three months, and I I just kind of fart it all out in in like you know seven hundred words and and I don't know twenty minutes or so. Goes real easy. The Georgia Southern one was really easy to write. Uh, South Alabama. I opened up the preview. I had all my ro- I had all the roster updates set up. I had everything ready to go, and then just kind of stared at the screen for like ten minutes. Like wait. What do I have to say about South Alabama this this year? And and uh, so that one was tricky. Um, I think the 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 gist of the of the South Alabama preview was basically last year was horrible. Um, this year they're replacing their quarterback, like most of their quarterback, most of their receivers, most of their defensive backfield. Which, if you follow S and P Plus projections, uh, you know that that means they are projected to crumble to the ground. Uh, so it's kind of a second year zero uh, for Steve Campbell there, but he's got a lot of winning on his resume. He's probably long term. I don't I don't have any reason to fear like anything different than I thought a year ago. Yeah, uh, but that was that was tricky. They, they got like one good lineman defensive lineman. Uh, they've got a good uh, uh, like utility man in Kawan Baker, maybe their best running back and their best receiver. And you know they've got a Sun Belt schedule, which means they should win some games. But it's gonna be it's gonna be hard. So then, okay. So this is funny because this was a school that was was spoken positively of, and then the Georgia State situation. So there's there's two things here. It's like the inverse. Um, and this isn't me disagreeing with your numbers or anything, but it is. I, I am kind of laughing. Like, um, this is like I, I got a ton of compliments about South Alabama and about their like athleticism and size. So I'm curious here. I think maybe it's because there's people that are very in the Sun Belt. Everything is coveted by geography. So yeah, I you think really that, should always have good athletes if you're based in Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, and so there's I, I think other coaches across the uh, across the Sun Belt are covetous of that South Alabama region. It's also one of the things they go back and they're like, "Yeah, Neil Brown's great." Neil Brown also figured out how to work that South Alabama region, Florida Panhandle. Yeah, and. I mean, really, honestly, like it, everyone wants to put Georgia State into the, you know, the Atlanta paradigm of like, how good can you be in the city relative to all the other SEC teams coming in? And then you have tech now and da, da, da. Um, people, it, 
It's funny, man. Like it's like the way people used to talk about the entire state of Texas, maybe 15 years ago in recruiting. People just assume you should be outfitting a murderer's row if you are in South Alabama or the Florida Panhandle. Yeah. So it's, and I mean, yeah, they do have athletes. There's no question about that. He's um, he he brought in a lot of JUCO defenders because that that was a problem last year. Their offense actually improved. Um, good passing game, and now it was a good passing game with two quarterbacks who are gone. So they're kind of starting over there. Yeah. Um, but they do have this Baker kid. Like they, they did take a step forward, and he's got a lot of offensive success on his resume. So maybe everything's fine there. The problem was that their defense was 123rd in defensive S and P plus, and then they lose their most of their secondary. So now they're projected to be 126th this year and 127th overall. So that's hard. And um, you know, we'll see. Like I mean, if the JUCOs take root, the offense could be decent. He he signed a lot of JUCOs on both sides of the ball, and. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see. But uh, yeah, it's still like just from a class balance standpoint, he had an experienced team last year. Didn't what didn't do a lot with it. Uh, probably not going to do a lot with this year's roster either. So it's, it's a, it's a long, it's a long build there. Yeah. Um, the Georgia state thing I think is fascinating because uh, everybody is jealous of the facilities and the stadium and the old Turner field thing. Yeah, and then great. again, being in Atlanta, and nobody knows why they can't just make it happen. And I remember a conversation I had with Georgia Southern boosters, as you guys know, if you listen to the show, I grew up a Georgia Southern fan. That's where my parents went to school. That was like the school I grew up cheering for. And uh, a couple of years ago, I said, look, you guys, this is like post Willie Fritz. They're kind of screwing it up. They don't really understand how to be a FBS team. And they're in danger of going against their Georgia Southern tradition. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I kept saying, look, you guys got to get it together because like Georgia State is a it's it's not a concept anymore. They're doing real things. They are going to cut off the north side from you in recruiting. And I don't know if it was just bullishness or or just blind faith. But (laughs) these Georgia Southern boosters like, nah, we'll be fine. I'm not worried about state. And I'm like, dude, they just took a major league baseball park and turned it into a football stadium. And they they did it right on the interstate where everybody can see. And like, that's going to build a lot of momentum. They're like, nah, we're fine. We're fine. And I didn't. I did not believe it at the time, but now it's kind of hard not to believe it. Like, there's this one program in the state of Georgia, which is one of the most talented states in all of college football, that's in just nowhere, right? And built its whole identity of, of being in nowhere and having no money, and they're still doing a better job recruiting and developing for their system. Granted, it's triple, but like it works. <laughs> it works really well, and Georgia State still can't figure their shit out. Yeah, I mean, the biggest problem that Georgia State had last year, I mean, again, they lost a ton of, you know, they made a surprise bowl in 2017, uh, but then they lost everybody. Like, the, I don't remember my preview title last year, but it was basically like, uh, you know, Elliott's doing pretty good, and they're going to fall off this year. Um, but then they fell off a ton because their secondary just got nuked. They ended up playing like all freshmen in the secondary for the most part. Um, all, like all, almost all secondary uh, sophomores on the defensive line. It was just, it was just kind of a rebuilding disaster. And they were so young last year that they're still pretty damn young this year. Uh, yeah. their leading receivers are, are coming back as a sophomore. Uh, their, well, their defensive line is all juniors. They're off their, their secondary is all se- uh, sophomores now. So, I mean, it's, it's just kind of a mess. I, he's still recruiting. Well, I think he signed like, a top five in the Sun Belt class, despite going zero and fifteen or whatever they were last year, and mm-hmm. so um, like I, I think things the trajectory is still okay there. But in the meantime, Georgia Southern's got its act together again, and um, you know the Sun Belt as a whole has made some interesting hires, and and it's going to be kind of hard to 
in the in the in the interim, it's going to be hard for it's. I think it's harder in, this year in the Sun Belt for a team to just kind of have its act together, play like you know, rank 115th in the country, but eke out six wins. That's going to be a little trickier this year, and I don't think Georgia State's really going to do it. All right, I got a I got a dumb question. It's kind of re- it's it, this is a redneck refrain. I hear it a lot. We're going to go like left or right, basically in these, these southern states. So in Mississippi, I would always hear. You know, with the population and the, and the talent that they have in Mississippi, if you rolled those three Division One or FBS teams together, you would have this world beater. You would have, like, the way Nebraska was built in the, in the Osborne era. And I was like, okay, maybe. And then the, the refrain was always, there's so much talent here, but with people coming in and recruiting it, there's not enough to sustain three teams to be, like, a top ten. They're going to split the difference and be maybe good or very good, but never excellent, right? Can... You know, Georgia's population has exploded by virtue of Atlanta. So Georgia State coming on and Kennesaw State coming on as a uh, as an FCS yeah. program doesn't really, you know, it's not like you're worried about too many programs, pop, you know, extreme right. population growth of football. In Alabama, you have two SEC programs. You have UAB, you have Troy, and you have South Alabama. Mm-hmm. You also have, for what it's worth, a very dominant program, usually historically, at the University of North Alabama on the FCS side. Is that too much? <laughs> well, I mean, it's is a USA lot. is USA just still an incubator, and we don't know if it doesn't work there ever? Because again, everyone's screaming about that region as far as talent. So it's probably too early to say USA can't work, right? That's definitely. Oh God, not. yes. I mean, they yeah, probably- yeah. yeah. They went uh, from from thirteen to sixteen. They went six and six, six and seven, five and seven, six and seven. That's clearly not good enough. And and Joey Jones, as soon as he slipped at all, he lost his job after that. But yeah. that was right out of the gates. They like they showed up in FBS in twenty twelve, and they had a mid level as a Sun Belt program by twenty thirteen. Like that's if you can do that, then yeah, you can find the talent to compete. He really did. Campbell really did this year. Just go all in on JUCOs, which which limits the the effect of being in Alabama, obviously. Um, let's see his top rated recruits, Juco, Juco, Juco. But from high school, he had a kid from Louisiana, Patterson, Louisiana, mm-hmm. and a kid from Pelham, Alabama, kid from Pensacola, kid from Crestview, Florida, and another kid from Crestview, Florida. His, I, I guess they're twins, uh, Milton, Florida, Riverdale, Georgia, West Point, Mississippi, Chickasaw, Alabama. So like, yeah, I mean, it, I, we might be limiting ourselves here, first of all, by thinking state to state, <clears throat> because it's more um, region to region, right? Like Mobile's basically the panhandle of Florida, almost. Yeah, uh, and you, it's, it's also almost somebody, Mississippi. Yeah. Like it's if all it, it's all right there. Yeah, if you're Mobile, you're just you're you're just as easily recruiting the state of Alabama as you are uh, Pensacola or you know um, you know the New Orleans suburbs. Yeah, because it is all sort of one area. Oh, nice! He signed a kicker from Aurora, Colorado, by the way. Um, wow, that's fun. Well, kickers, you know, kickers come from weird places. Um, okay, Louisiana Monroe. Mm-hmm. Is it safe to say this that that job did not get any easier? Well, it's right? never gonna get easier. Yeah. It's never gonna get easy. It's it's a job I <laughs> I uh, I know a lot about just because I spend a lot of time in Monroe, Louisiana, usually against my will. Um, How dare you? This is not a well-funded job. This is not a well-supported job. They wrote, they go through athletic directors and presidents and leadership at ULM at a clip, man. Um, and it's a place where 
uh, if you've ever anecdotally heard somebody say like, well, man, you know, you got to get it in before hunting season. This is, that's a real, real concept in North Louisiana. (laughs) Um, and yet finally, rather than try and go ultra finesse or incredibly unique or replicate a spread, you have in ULM this like mean pissy football team and it sort of works, Yeah, you know, like it's never going to be great. And you hired a guy in Matt Viator who, you know, understood Louisiana, granted at a very, very different situation in, at, at McNeese, where um, if you don't know, McNeese is a, a FCS school. Basically, if if Monroe's in the top right of the state, McNeese is in the bottom left. Um, it's a very well-supported FCS program. They have a fan base, they have an identity, all the things ULM's kind of struggled with. But um, he has created this, this like, ruddy pissed off football team and it you know they've seen more success than they probably should at least like when coaches look at their roster yeah and i mean keeping it up obviously it's you're this is the proverbial pushing the boulder up a hill at all times kind of situation right but um yeah no i mean he is if anybody can figure out how to win if anybody understands the state of louisiana it is a guy who went to McNeese State. His first four coaching jobs were Sam Houston High School, wherever that is in Louisiana, for three years. Vent- Vinton High School head coach for two years. Jennings High School head coach for four years. Sulphur High School head coach for four years. Like His first 13 seasons were, were Louisiana High School. Then he gets a job as a position coach at McNeese State. Within a year, uh, he's the offensive coordinator. He spends seven years as offensive coordinator there. He spends a decade as head coach there. Um, like dude is Louisiana as hell, if not the right, if not the same part of Louisiana. But, um, I mean, he's, he's raiding Louisiana recruiting. He's really trying to hit that hard. Uh, and man, I feel bad because like they went six and six last year and six and six should get you to a bowl. I think they were one of the four teams that didn't make a bowl and they ended up missing a bowl partially because they missed a field goal in the, the, in the season finale against Louisiana Lafayette that would have sent the game to overtime. Um, they were driving down three. They converted a fourth down with a big long pass. They were in, they're in touchdown range, but couldn't quite do it. And then they missed a chip shot field goal and it's kept them at home. And when you're Louisiana Monroe and you've been to one bowl game ever, like I was there. At missing like this isn't one of those situations like if an SEC team misses a field goal finishes five and seven misses a bowl game whatever like you 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 might get fired for it I guess but it's it's you, you get you get cranky and then the next season you probably make a bowl because most SEC teams make a bowl from year to year um, when you're ULM and you miss a field goal that keeps you out of the postseason like that hurts a lot and. Yeah. This because you're ULM, this season's not going to be any easier. They've got a good quarterback in Caleb Evans, who probably wasn't as good last year as he should have been. I think we, you know, I was I was building him up. I thought that he could take another step forward after a really good sophomore year, and he really didn't. Uh, but he's got senior receivers. He's got uh, you know, pretty like I think a pretty interesting offense overall. The offensive line has like 130 something career starts. Uh, he's got everything he needs offensively. The defense is at least improving. It's still not great, but they're extremely experience they improved last year all these pieces are in place and yet they still play at florida state they still play at iowa state they they host memphis a top 30 memphis they play at app state they play at georgia southern they play at louisiana lafayette so they're basically in the exact same situation they were last year where they pretty much have no choice but to win every single winnable game if they're going to make a bowl and uh last year 
They they did that for the most part, but they just completely fell asleep when they went at they played at Georgia State and just randomly got destroyed, like forty six fourteen. Um, and then otherwise kind of played to type, lost to A&M and Ole Miss, lost to Troy and Arkansas beat State. Beat Georgia Southern badly, beat the, though. Beat the crap out of Georgia Southern, but then beat Texas State and Coastal and South Alabama. Like, they basically played to type for the most part, uh, and they didn't make a bowl. This year, the, the the margin for error is just as tiny. I would hope, like, Caleb Evans is a really fun quarterback to watch. He's a senior. I hope he gets to end his career in a bowl game. But, it's like, the margins are so small here, and they're always going to be that way, even when you've got your act together. Um. Georgia Southern is the simplest – hands down, it's the simplest evaluation in the world. Do what you're supposed to do, and you'll be successful. They're <laughs> I, doing what they're supposed to be doing, and they're now they're successful again. So, just don't screw it up. I'm, I'm going to quote myself here from today's Georgia Southern piece because I just I really enjoyed – well, of course I enjoyed writing about Georgia. I always enjoy writing about Georgia Southern. Creek water. Um, and not just because I'll get the Georgia Southern retweets, but um, from the offensive here, – here, allow myself to quote myself – uh, God, God, God bless the Georgia Southern option. As I wrote in last year's preview, identity is a blessing and a curse, and an option identity spells that out very clearly. On one hand, you're in possession of one of nature's most efficient attacks. You carve yeah. out steady yardage and spend most of your time in third and manageable. You are forever a unique opponent to prepare for, and while some opponents might get more used to playing you over time, you get more used to playing – you get more used to how they're going to defend you too. You can always stay a step ahead. You can control the ball. You give your defense plenty of rest and potentially make opposing uh, offenses impatient and pushy in the process. And at the same time, if you do fall behind the uh, schedule, good luck catching back up. You're not built for it. And you open yourself up to recruiting difficulties. Only certain types of receivers and linemen are likely to look your way. And defensive recruits with any pro ambition whatsoever will be hearing from other recruiters about how they won't be exposed to quote-unquote pro-style offenses in practice. And those recruiters aren't technically wrong. Um, I did talk to a couple Georgia Southern assistants when I was down at AFCA in, in, in January. And they kind of – I mean – they're clearly they clearly like what they're building and everything, but they did kind of acknowledge like recruiting's always going to be hard because you're always going to be every single other recruiter uh, in the Sun Belt is just going to be kind of like you know really you're really going to go there and and have to deal with all that option stuff mm-hmm. and and not really have to like unless you're an option quarterback or a running back it's going to be a little bit of a tricky sell, um, but <laughs> they did it. They, they, they fully – the last part I'm going to quote is I, I said that committing to the option is hard to fake. Option life won't love you if you don't love it back. And from the moment uh, Tyson Summers was hired, didn't seem like he and the option were on the right terms. And uh, and, and it fell apart immediately. So it's just a fragile little thing. But uh, Yeah, so just for, do do the thing that makes you wildly successful and annoying for everyone else in the league. And do what, do the that. thing that shortens all of the margins that you cannot shorten in any other way. So talent yeah. and speed – and all of that stuff. Just do that. It always works. <laughs> yeah, Chad, and Chad Lunsford made two great coordinator hires. He got he got Bob DeBess, the the New Mexico offensive coordinator, who Bob Davies strangely fired a couple of years ago. Like, of all of his problems, running a triple option wasn't one of them. Um, but he fired – not only did he fire DeBess, he had another terrible year and still managed to keep his job, which we'll talk about that soon enough. But um, – but DeBess was right there. He 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 and Shy Wirtz, their their awesome quarterback, really kind of clicked. And um, you know he he's got a lot of skill, new skill guys around him. But the offense is probably going to look like the Georgia Southern offense. The defense improved and returns most of the reasons why they improved. Um, their problem is also kind of scheduling. They play at LSU, at Minnesota, and then in conference play they're at App State, at Troy, and at Arkansas State. Uh, we get we quickly get the impression that part of the reason they broke through so much last year is because they had all the tough opponents at home. Yeah. Um, 
So this this is like they could be just as good as last year, but only go seven and five. But still, um, they are back where they should have been all along, and and it makes their brief collapse even more confusing. I can tell you, ha- having spoke with the athletic directors there, and and as they were transitioning up, they are begrudging about taking the body bag, but they have to because of the finances. Yeah. Right. So that's LSU. But in no way, shape or form do they think Minnesota is, no. is that game. Well, Minnesota, I mean, we've talked about them a lot. Like one week they were top 20, the next week they're top a hundred. Keep, get them on the right week uh, and, and get them in week three, as opposed to week one, as you've yeah. talked about before, that is a situation like they're projected to lose by two touchdowns, but that's clearly, you can talk yourself into that one a little bit. You can definitely talk yourself into it if who does Minnesota open with? Oh, uh, yeah. vamping, vamping, vamping on the podcast on a time limited podcast. Who's faster? Who's got the faster internet? Minnesota. My laptop is smoking. Week one at Fresno State in week two. Long road trip in week two. It's very possible there, right? Body bag, body blow theory. I don't know. Shout out to the verbal. Um, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, no, Fresno, not, not a team you want to go on the road. I mean, nobody, you don't want to play Fresno and Fresno, especially when you're the P5 expected to win. So I don't know. Fresno, Look ahead, Fresno, Fresno of 2019 is not going to be Fresno of 2018, but that's still a really tricky trip to then have to turn around and come back and play an option team. I think it just really depends on health and, and they're very good at catching you if you're a little bit banged up already. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I don't feel like we're giving the Sun Belt its due. This is a truncated show. We're definitely going to circle around. We do power rankings next week and come back. Um, ULL, Louisiana. We've, we've, oh, God, we've I did it too. Coastal. We've skipped Coastal by No, way, I'm getting but... to Coastal in a second. All right, all um, right, right. Uh, I, I, I'm freaking out. UL, Louisiana, Lafayette, I don't know. Whatever. We like you guys because you guys are running a really good program, it looks like. You guys are doing good stuff. Um, I, I think I've mentioned why i struggle with calling them louisiana before. you got popped again but you got popped again this week didn't you shout out to our buddy yeah, patrick yeah, at, at, it, at louisiana the, the SID louisiana, louisiana that's just gonna be hard man <sighs> look i well and i think i i have a personal i i lived in missouri when southwest missouri state when, when the southwest portion of missouri basically took over the legislature and immediately tried to get the southwest removed from southwest missouri state i understand like the politics behind this sort of thing and it immediately just makes me reflexively angry. And so, like, 
because I like you, I, I love Louisiana Lafayette. I just like Louisiana Monroe too. And it's, it's almost like a respect thing for ULM. Like, no, 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 no. You're not just Louisiana. You're on the same page. You're on the same kind of plane. And so I, I instinctively shift towards a, a, an equal name out of respect for ULM, I guess. If we go with Louisiana, what do we call ULM to be fair? Do you think they want to go with more of just the lettery like like LSU does? Well, let's see. We've got a Louisiana Tech. We've got a Louisiana State. What about like uh, Louisiana A&T? Is that good? Louisiana A&M. There we go. Yeah, they're not going to. They don't <laughs> want that. They're not going to. All right. We'll, we deal with, we'll deal with this crisis later. Um, here's the deal. Here's how you tell them apart right now. Um, the one in the South, Lafayette, is good. Uh no knock to the North Louisiana talent. Hell, Nick Saban lives in West Monroe, Louisiana. But ULL, they, uh, I think they have a, a good, warm relationship with nearby LSU. They get it. They work the high schools down there really well. They recruit really well. This year, they recruited. They they signed kids that had like legit P five interest. Um, yeah, they are the better program. They are he the more attended to program. They are man. Go ahead. No, he murdered the recruiting this year. He. He did every like it's like for all we talk about with like uh, I mean I, I like to treat these programs as equals but for, uh, it really is hard sometimes when 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 Louisiana Lafayette has things it's going right mm-hmm. it's really hard it, it feels so natural that you're like how how can you ever how can you ever go wrong how can you ever fall apart here and um I mean Billy Napier with his amazing resume with lots of Davos Sweeney, lots of Nick Saban, a little bit of Todd Graham, who um, you know, for all his own personal flaws, is one hell of a hirer of assistant coaches. Um, you get all that. He goes, he takes a head coaching job, and he signed like this recruiting class, like legit mid-three star guys from Kentwood and Thibodeau and Baton Rouge and even Monroe and Greensburg and New Orleans and Met- how do you say it? Materi? Materi. Yeah, I should have known. Um, Kaplan, like Mandeville. Like he, he went out and signed like an, almost an entire class of mid three star Louisiana kids. And tell me that class isn't going to kick ass in two years. Uh, they're doing a really, really good job. Also, they are. Um, running themselves the way a P5 would, which is what they always want to tell you when you go visit a G5. We're like, we're operating like P5. And yep. you, sometimes you smile and nod, and then sometimes you look around and you're like, God, they really are. Um, this would be the latter. Yeah, if you keep uh, this up, by the way, if here, here's the deal. If, if they keep this up, win big for a few years, lose Billy Napier, but then continue doing it then, um, I'll call you Louisiana. Here's the deal. Bold take, he ain't there. No, like that. This is the worst thing I can tell you as a Cajuns fan. He ain't gonna be there. No, but this is an SEC coach in the next three to five years. How? But how much of an infrastructure can he lay in the next few years? Because he might be able to do a hell of a job there. Because Hudspeth, Hudspeth got their act together a good amount. He just couldn't keep it up. But he was a nice Hudspeth, and Hudspeth, Hudspeth was a little rough in terms of like the the grooming and the presentation and the and the yeah. off way Loved off him. field Loved networking. Him so much. Um. I think Hudspeth, Hudspeth and his supporters always assumed that one of the Mississippi jobs would fall his way. Napier's a guy you look around and you're like, he th- this guy could be at Tennessee one day. He could be at South Carolina. He could be at one of the Mississippis. He's a really, really good coach. Yep. Um, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how they translate that. Um, they've recruited really well. They're not yet that like you know app 
or Troy kind of no. level thing yet, but they're get. I mean, here's the deal: those two programs I just named, they lost their head coach. So, right. and I know we haven't gotten there yet in your previews, and we w- we'll talk about this more next week. The swing is going to be really interesting, and I think it's going to happen very fast, as it ju- as it does in the G5s. You know, look at the MAC as an example. Like fortunes fade pretty quickly, regimes change pretty quickly. I think you're going to see, and this isn't to knock the new coaches at App or Troy. It's just margins are tight, man. And yeah. this is this is a program that does have its head coach. Yeah, the the biggest challenge for I talk a lot about class balance, obviously, and that's probably the biggest challenge for for Napier over the next couple of years is that this year, this year he's got a lot coming back. He loses um, his uh, well, his not his leading receiver, but his most frequent target. Um, he loses, but not much else except the quarterback. He loses Andre mm-hmm. Nunez. He's gonna have a new quarterback. Either probably either Levi Lewis or the or this um, or JUCO kid coming in. But basically, like. If they can avoid a step back at the quarterback position, and and Andre Nunez didn't leave the like set the bar incredibly high, but they could technically have a little bit of a reset on offense, um, which holds them back maybe a, a tad this year. Their schedule is pretty extreme, in like they're, you know, the easy probably easy wins at South Alabama and Texas Southern, maybe hopefully Liberty at home, but then easy losses to probably Mississippi State and a couple Sun Belt schools. Um, but if they don't quite kind of break through this year because of the quarterback situation, then next year they lose their entire starting offensive line. They lose their current uh, returning leading receiver. They lose probably one, two, three, four, five, six to seven defensive starters. And so, like, they could be like all, all these good recruits that are coming in, like, they might be leaning hard on those kids as redshirt freshmen or sophomores next year. Um, so really that's my only getting all the classes aligned is the one thing that kind of worries me here. Um, mm-hmm. but really if you're, if you're UL, you might not necessarily mind that because maybe Napier doesn't have the breakthrough season for another two or three seasons. Uh, and, and meanwhile, he's recruited like crazy. And when he finally does leave, he's got a full mm-hmm. infrastructure of great recruiting having b- been built in. So maybe you Let don't want that breakthrough. That. Maybe you don't want that breakthrough season <laughs> just yet. Let me rain on that just for a second. One of the other things too is they there are a lot of those coaches interviewed at a lot of places this offseason already, which <laughs> yeah. means that like they're on a lot of eighties radar. So yeah. sorry guys. Um Coastal Carolina, is that a thing we're gonna do we wanna make that a thing? Do we wanna make a <laughs> no, I'm serious. Do we wanna do a sentimental underdog type situation with Coastal Carolina? Such a strange situation. Well what's program born out of nothing? You know, the whole Joe Mowgli thing. Talk about that in a second. Do we want to have a Kent State level of sympathy? Are we are we gonna throw our PAPN energies well, behind them like we do with UTEP? I mean, sure. Like I, I don't I we have plenty of energies to go around, but um I I it is funny, like when I was writing the preview, like when, now that Mowgli is not the head coach anymore, it's suddenly like a normal start, uh, like FCS to FBS pr- transition program. And it was a lot harder to figure out things to talk about. Um but we do still have a little weirdness here because uh, Joe Moglia only sort of retired. He he is no longer the head coach. Um, you got yelled at again. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. The God bless you, Sunbelt SIDs. I, I've heard from a lot of you now. Um, he he only sort of retired. He's no longer the head coach. He is, however, still atop the coaching staff page, and his job title is currently chairman of athletics slash executive director for football slash executive advisor to the president. 
So Jamie, oh, Jamie Chadwell. Hey, guess what? That always goes well. Should, Jamie Ch- they actually, this is, I, I am fascinated in this because like, you know, we've heard of the CEO coach, but at Coastal Carolina, we now have a CEO a and a CEO. coach. Um, we've got Jamie Chadwell as the second year head coach, uh, so technically second year. Cause he was the interim in 2017 when Moglia was battling health problems. Um, mm-hmm. then Moglia comes back. He goes back to being an offensive coordinator. Now he's the head coach again, but still kind of number two within the football program. This, this could be really fun and cool and interesting and unique, and it could be a disaster and we'll, we'll see which. I, I don't know. I mean, this is, it, this is just a strange football program. Um, I mean, they're they're in Myrtle Beach. They've like they're yeah, or near same Myrtle. Thing. Like they're yeah, in South same Carolina. Spiel where you're like you're like okay, talent, yeah. good yeah. location. Like they put a little money into the thing, so feels like it should have some sort of functionality, right? Yeah, yeah. and they came. I mean, they were just they were one close loss away from a, from bowl eligibility last year. I don't know if that means making a bowl, as we learned with ULM, but right. Um, and that would have been cool for Joe Moglia's last game to be a bowl game after after his weird ass. Retire right. from being an Ivy League assistant, go make a billion dollars as TD Ameritrade CEO, come back, be a volunteer assistant for Bo Pelini. Somehow Coastal Carolina hires him as a head coach, despite like his only coaching experience in the last 30 years being one year as a volunteer assistant. And then he went and coached like the a minor league team at, at, in Omaha. And then he became Coastal Carolina's head coach. It was amazing and it worked. Um and it was just such a cool story, but but yeah, you, you they they only finished five and seven. They really, I mean, they were 116th in S and P plus, so it wasn't like a they would have been kind of lucky to make a bowl game, but but still, like they, it's a, a unique story that's maybe a little less unique now that Mowgli is not running the show. But I guess in a way, he's still kind of running the show. Not a bad offense, no. No, Could not at all. Something. Jamie Chadwell's uh, got a nice – he's a run-heavy identity, not a triple option guy, but they're going to run the but ball a lot. Of. Yeah, yeah. They, they had like you know a three-headed running back that had like 25 carries per game last year. A um, couple good like a couple good play action weapons off to play off of that. Like that, if they if they have a quarterback, because they also lost, they had, they played three last year because of injuries. Kilton Anderson's gone, but two guys who were freshmen last year and both looked relatively decent. Fred Payton and Bryce Carpenter are back, and and um, we'll see who wins that job. I assume Fred Payton, but we'll see. Um, no, like their offense should be pretty good. Their defense was horrific, and. Um, and we'll see. Like they all, they lose half their secondary, so we'll see if that improves at all. But their offense should be interesting, at least. Um, I would say uh, they're they're in the they're in the option family, like by marriage, maybe. <laughs> but oh, sure, yeah. I mean anybody who at this point, if you're leaning heavily on the run in in 2019 football, then yeah, you're you're not that far removed from option, uh, even if you're not technically a triple option team. Yeah. Somewhat close there. Um, by the time we record next week uh, on a much more normal living schedule, we will have the Sun Belt. We'll have a, a bow on the Sun Belt. Yeah, we can talk no, power we, uh, rankings. Ten, we can ten talk. team conference. I was I was confused that I was already almost done with the Sun Belt, and then I remembered it's a ten team conference. So we've yeah. got um, Monday Arkansas State, Tuesday Troy, Wednesday App State, Thursday Power Rankings. I like it. Um, do you? How much? How much have you absorbed being on the road this week? Because this happens to me a lot, especially when I travel and I'm focused on something. How much have you absorbed about this Pac-12 nonsense? <laughs> I saw the headlines. I blacked out. I decided, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on this later. Okay, so it's it's worth talking about because I want to get to a separate point. It's something that Richard and I discussed over in the SB Nation editorial because he was 
super fired up about it. Definitely understand. And then we, we talked and we talked and it's, it's such a mess. So the PAC 12 right now, you guys know that, uh, essentially bad at football, giant problem with their network. They haven't made They've, they've dumped a ton of money into their network cause they own it 100%. And then they haven't made near nearly the amount of money off their network that the other schools have that are partnered up with broadcast companies like Fox and the Big Ten Network and the SEC and ESPN, right? We've talked about that a yeah. lot. The Pac-12 is looking for money right now. They're <laughs> looking for private equity, um, and they they want a good bit. Um, let me go ahead and pull up. If you're gonna if you're gonna talk about this, you gotta you gotta get the old John Wilner going. By, um, by the way, we're gonna have to flip back here in a second. We didn't talk about Georgia State, and I know we have at least <gasps> one. I mean Texas State, sorry. And I know we have at least one pretty hardcore Texas State fan who listens. So we're gonna we'll get or, to that. All right, how about this? How about yeah. this? Because we're on a, we're on a tight one. We'll we will lead with Texas State next week, guaranteed. All right, cliffhanger. <laughs> well, don't don't guarantee anything because we, no. forget, we, we. I said it right now. What's gonna okay. happen? We are leading okay. with Texas State. Sure. All right. Man, we straight up did forget them, which you know. And I was looking be, at the list of teams. Might be indicative of the state of things in Texas and, State. And that was a preview that actually got a lot of – that resonated because I talked about how their administration sucked and that made a lot of Texas State fans happy. But um, anyway. Um, minority ownership in, in the Pac-12 is being shopped to potential investors in exchange for upfront payments of several hundred million dollars, which would all be distributed to the universities. That's basically all you need to know. You don't really – as with most venture capital, you don't really know what you're buying. You don't really know what you own. You don't really own anything tangible. We don't make things in this country anymore. Um, and yet, they want a lot of money so they can hand to their schools. Essentially, to this is a, this is a seemingly uh, quickly organized, not incredibly well thought through plan to create a stopgap for the lack of revenue that's going to the individual schools that yeah. other conferences are enjoying because they have big fat TV contracts for their conference networks. Okay. This is a mess. This is a giant, giant mess. Um, the one thing, the thing I want to talk about in relation to this, grant of rights is going to come up here soon. Uh, there are a couple of vocabulary words I've been seeing kicked around college football Twitter, and most I think most people are educated on this now, right? So the SEC and the Big Ten, you would never leave them, right, Bill? Like you really couldn't see a reason yeah. as a member school, of, a, a member of either one of those conferences, to ever leave those two conferences, right? They're the richest, they're the most competitive, they give you the most resources, they give you the most prestige, the most attention. Yes. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, unless Rutgers is shown the door or something, but yes, they are. They are locked in with their grant of rights, like into the twenty fifties. Okay, the three that you have to look at are the Pac twelve, the Big Twelve and the Atlantic Coast Conference, which they're about to launch a conference network as well, okay? So really the two interesting ones here, because the ACC is stable, they have this agreement with Notre Dame, um, they have a grant of rights as well. It expires fairly soon-ish, but you would assume they're probably going to immediately turn around after the launch of the conference network, and they might be the first in the door to renegotiate their rights deal with their first-party rights deal. So your first-party rights deal is like when the SEC is on CBS, right, or – uh, regular plain Fox carries like big 10 games. Okay. That's, that's a first party rights deal. Um, which by the way, 23 is the last year on this sec CBS contract. For those of you who love the music so much. Yeah. <sighs> RIP Vern. I shouldn't say that as a joke. No, God, no, don't say that. Don't say it. Bad. I just mean RIP Vern calling things. Um, Man, so I just... really scared you there. Didn't that just ruined it? Ruin my weekend. Well, the worst part is guess what? We get all the Gary Danielson we want. 
Um, what you need to understand here is this. The Pac-12, yes, is the most volatile. No, I don't think the Pac-12 is going to break up. Um, the thing that we should look at right now, and this is what I've been trying to get at when people bring this up, it's not that the Pac-12 is looking for money. They are looking for money, LOL, whatever. It's that the Pac-12 has been making this like incredibly long-term futures bet, Bill, on – Owning all of this IP and content. Like, we own our whole network. Yeah. All that Pac-12 rowing, that's ours, baby. <laughs> all the beach volleyball, right? Have you even ever watched, like, an afternoon of Pac-12 network? Have you ever had access to it? I've never had access for one okay. second to Pac-12 network. Right. So, it is a glorious exercise in naivete <laughs> of what people want to see on television, all right? Um, and, and, like, probably deserves more criticism and scorn and ridicule than even, like, Longhorn Network. Um, the Pac-12 has been betting that someone's going to come along and drop the bank on them because they own all the content, right? We want to get in bed with the Pac-12, and they own everything. They don't have to split it with a fireworks. Right now, it, we have not seen that movement yet, and this is what I'm getting at. We're getting closer and closer to 2023, and you'll start to really see news, and you'll start to see behind closed door conversations leak out, I think, around 2021. So we're about two years away. And everyone is just guessing that it's going to be another form of radical realignment. As of right now, in March of 2019, I'm betting against that. I'm betting against that because we have yet to see a major non-television network entity get in the game. And it's not time for them to get in the game yet. Right, right. But we've seen zero interest in any other form from the Apples and the Facebooks and the Amazons of the world. Like, I know you can stream some of that stadium stuff on Facebook, like a, a Conference USA game. That's not a big money deal, okay? And I've yet to see Facebook go out and sign some other sports league, right? No one is getting into the sports rights game so far, right. all right? It's early yet, and things could change, and I could be completely wrong in six months. But right now, what you need for something crazy to happen is you need a new component to this whole puzzle and yeah. i don't think amazon prime is going to jump in you know i don't think all of a sudden apple is going to go to the big 10 or the sec or the acc and say here's a billion dollars of our x years and now all of a sudden now it's espn leveraging itself against software against silicon valley right so far that hasn't happened mm -hmm. so i don't think the pac-12 is falling up well i mean you know they are falling apart ayo but like <laughs> they're not actually gonna break apart Right. No, I mean, we are just kind of waiting because the only like the only recent media rights kind of news that we've gotten at all was, um, you know, the ACC network continuing to move forward and kind of uh, like unveiling its rollout plans, uh, which includes like a lot of conference basketball games in early November, which just seems like the dumbest thing in the world. But it is ACC. So maybe. Uh, and then the AAC and ESPN agreeing to a one billion dollar deal. Um, which don't overreact to that. I know we got some questions. Um, mm -hmm. Look at the look at the per year per team or per program dollar figures there versus the struggling Pac-12, and you know that it's not. Yeah, it's still very different. But um, I didn't even want to get into that this week because I'm uh, I haven't <clears throat> dedicated enough trying to picking that apart. But I tell you what, the AAC thing because we did get a lot of jokes on Twitter. It did its job. 
Yeah. It looks really good. It looks really good. Get into that. And then you kind of hide everything. It's 12 years. It takes 12 years to get to a billion dollars, but having that B there, having that billion on there made people, made people impressed. I will say that. Look, man, good for them. And so, okay. So just to real quickly to hear, I'm going to quote the sports business daily. This is the story we're talking about in case, in case you, you also got stuck in the Charlotte airport for a while and and missed some of this. (laughs) Um, Okay. Quote, the Pac-12 is seeking $750 million from investors, considerably more than the $500 million that originally discussed four months ago. According to multiple sources, the conference will distribute $700 million of that investment to its 12 schools. The other $50 million will go into a new entity to manage co- the conference's media rights and networks. The breakdown is detailed in official bid books that the conference sent to potential investors in recent days. The bid book is more than 70 pages that identifies the Pac-12 media holding company as NUCO, which includes all of the Uh, conference's media rights in the Pac-12 networks. NUCO reported uh, an EBITDA of $286 million last year, according to the bid book. The the book does not outline a timetable to complete a deal, but sources indicate the process will unfold over the coming weeks. The Pac-12 did not comment. Um. EBITDA or whatever is earnings before income tax. I don't remember what the rest stands for. Hey, or in, in, sorry, interest, in. interest and tax, not income look, tax. Look at that coming in. Wow. I do have an MBA. I know. I, I can, and I can name, that means I can name a majority of the letters in that title. That's All right. It. So since you brought it up, I'm going to do this real fast with the three paragraphs and you can watch how unsexy this gets yeah. after the lead. The American Athletic Conference will get $1 billion for its media rights from ESPN over 12 years, according to sources. The average of $83.3 per, uh, million per year is about four times what the AAC was making in its previous rights agreement with the net, which paid the league just over $20 million annually. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Big numbers. The new agreement begins in 20 through 21 and runs through the 31 through 32. Okay. All right. Fine. 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 The annual per school average of 6.94 million provides each AA school with nearly 5 million more in annual revenue. Okay. All right. All right. I'll, I'll give you the other numbers in a second. If you don't know off the top of your head, here's the kicker. They did not sign a grant of rights, yep. which would have restricted them from jumping to a conference in the Power Five. SBJ reported in December, blah, blah, AAC was considering a grant of rights, which effectively turns the school's media rights companies over to the conference. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> Five million more in annual revenue. So this TV deal is going to pay, what did they say? The annual per school average of $6.94 million. Okay. Yeah, that's the primary rights deal. So not like the stuff that right. goes to Pac-12 Network. Yeah. All right. And how much do you think, according to reports, the Big Ten handed each one oh, of its God. schools from yeah, its television deal? Like, no, I yeah. just want to show. I, I want to show the gap because if you're the University of Cincinnati, you're down the road from Ohio State. Yep. Okay. Um, oh, it, it passed fifty million, didn't it? Yes. So in 2018. Now, these are reports. It could be slightly off, but probably not. 51.1 million in 2018. Oh, hello, pop-pop ads. $51 million off of a television deal. Per team. Per team. So two teams. One more time. 6.94 million or 51 million. Yeah, two teams make more than all the AAC. Yeah. By the way, uh, a little nugget that only- Maryland and Rutgers- Again. Oh, God, that's right, yeah. Every time you make a joke, uh, they don't care, man. Right. Oh, poor UConn. Uh, 
because they really yeah. they wanted something, and now Rutgers is making fifty million in in primary rights. And Someone UConn's, from the New York, New uh, Jersey, like Connecticut, that that whole metro area up there, like a I guess you're. Your your train bridge and tunnel New Yorker who's like a Yankees fan and grows up in that culture. Can someone explain to me why they took Rutgers and not like UConn? Is it something obvious that I should know? Um, I know Maryland because that was they thought that was their best foot foothold. Yeah, it was the pure DC. TV market. Like, but, Ru- hey, what, it's, but, it's but UConn, located close to New York City. Right, but so is stores. I know. So stores is well, actually, no. I can, I can. Stores isn't located close to anything. Um, right, but a but lot of technically, people that live yeah, in the New it's York not that, area. It's like not Wash- exactly a further drive than than. Uh, Pascal. Okay, but well, here's my challenge. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Like people that live in New York City, they watch UConn basketball. Yeah, sure. I, I, so why not go with like UConn basketball over like the hell did Rutgers give you? Yeah. I mean, this is I'm a just curious a if, some, people, if someone can tell me why was it? This is a question a lot of people have been asking for a few years now. Um, Rutgers fans would point out that uh, that uh, they they hey, bring shine. Is a Rutgers fan? I have met a Rutgers fan. Thank you very much. Um, he gave me a towel from the 2006 Rutgers Louisville game, so he is forever and I am forever indebted to him. Don't um, use that towel. Oh man, that, no, that game was aw- well. I haven't used that towel. I just don't use that. It's, towel. On, it's on a bookshelf, but that game was amazing. That was one of the best games I've ever seen. Um, one thing Rutgers fans would tell you is that uh, they they bring a little bit of shine uh, to the Big Ten in terms of uh, off the field conduct. So, you know, Big Ten's had a little a few issues with that recently. Um, yeah, okay, no, anyway, no one has anything. To, it's, it's like to, a, it's it's just a, you can't answer the riddle. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it's and and I mean it was it was open from the start, and um, it it was very it was a both a naked power like money grab and also a very confusing mm-hmm. and tenuous money grab from the very start. Um, Do you think? Just asking. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to answer because I don't think anyone can or knows. We might be in a bubble. We might. That was the clearest sign that we might be in a bubble. Yes. And what I mean by bubble, if you don't understand, and let the NBA explain it better, is we might not see massive rights deals as we cycle through the 23-24 year that eclipse the previous one set. We might have tabled off. Maybe, but like early indications are that that might not be true since the ACC has still gotten its own network and the the AAC did multiply its revenue times four or whatever. And so, I mean... Yeah, but my my response to that is we have Yes, and you also have to pay attention to Disney, and you have to sure. pay attention to the fact that now Disney owns so much of what, oh, yeah, of that ecosystem. And what I mean by that is obviously they own ESPN, but now they own everything Fox that you see on your on your thing, except Fox News, and I think the actual, I think FS1 is its own independent thing, but all the regionals. Mm. So if you're a Big Twelve fan and you're watching on like. I just remember always having to find like the, you know, a TCU Oklahoma state game on like the Fox sports Southwest or the Fox sports, whatever, like that, that's all floating around right now. They don't know what they're going to do with those regional networks. And it's a, it's one of the big, I don't want to say victims, but it's like definitely a big question. They're in limbo of this Disney Fox merger. We don't really know how they're going to distribute a lot of that regional sports stuff, which is like a ton of baseball, a ton of hockey, NBA, like, um, I mean, I watch all of my teams that aren't the Atlanta Falcons on those channels, right? Like I watch the Braves on Fox Sports Tennessee. 
I think it's yeah, Fox Sports Tennessee, the Braves and the Predators. Like most of you listening who are listen, who who are fans of other sports, that's how you're consuming those sports. And in college football, it's a big part of the backbone of the non-national games. And they haven't really figured out what they're going to do because they don't understand the value of them. <laughs> sure. That's going to be really tricky and that's going to be a huge portion of this discussion. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no question. I, I just, we are still anticipating it. We don't have any, we don't have any proof from an action standpoint that it's going to, or when it might happen, because so far ESPN just keeps giving people, uh, giving teams and conferences bigger deals. So um, at some point you figure that stops, but who the hell knows? I've, I've kind of given up on trying to anticipate it. All right, we got like five minutes left. We haven't answered any questions. You want to boot it to next week and keep pontificating? Um, well, one thing I did absolutely want to mention because I, I forgot this too. Uh, guess speaking of the AAC, speaking of Sun Belt previews, guess who's next on the previews list as we go from worst conference to the best? Who's next? Not Mountain West. What? The AAC is next. Wait, Mountain? Uh, oh well, of I, course they did. They're the greatest conference in the country, Mountain West. Thanks to the Yeti. Sure. Yeah, uh, that's right. Exactly. Those those quarter zip like long sleeve things were. I, I, those are, those have been lovely. Um, yeah, no, uh, when I, I, I hadn't even really looked, I just assumed the mountain West was next because that's the pro the, the, that's how this, uh, order goes. But when I looked at those conference averages again, which determines the order of the conference previews, uh, the average, co- uh, AAC team had about a minus three S and P plus rating last year. The average mountain West team had a minus 0.7. So AAC's wow. next. we're going to transition from app state to Yukon, baby, not app state to, uh, whoever was worst in the mountain West last year, San Jose state. Uh, you know, that's fine. We're going to build anticipation for the greatest conference in college football. That's fine. I'm good with that. What, what are you going to do about it? All AAC? you had to do is send me a mug. Yeah, come on, AAC. Where are you? A T-shirt. I am. A, I am a whore. I will wear your stuff. I will wear your stuff. I will drink uh, hot liquids from your mugs. You just have to send them my way. We loved you first, and you never loved us back. <laughs> Mountain West, baby. They sent us all kind of stuff. They did send a bunch of glitter in that box, and I thought my wife oh, was God. going to stab me. Oh, so they did that to you too? It wasn't just me that they did that too. I made a joke, something about the Mountain West lo- logo looking like a transformer. We told this story on the show. So oh yeah, yeah, no. I mean, this was a pure PAPN event. Ha ha ha. Yeah, yeah. And then they, they, and I put it on Twitter too. They, they found, I guess, like the stencil pattern for the Autobot logo and, and did it in, in That's like right. puff glue and glitter on a T-shirt. No, I just got a. <laughs> My I got wife was a, the, furious. That, that tweet that I made fun of about uh, like really t- kind of twisting to show that they're the superior mid-major conference, which in, in t- apparently all they needed to use was average S and P plus rating. Um, but yeah, I, I they framed that tweet, sent it to me in a glitter bomb sweatshirt, and but then also a Yeti mug. You got a framed tweet? A framed tweet. Man, that's nice. Yeah. I didn't get a framed tweet. Um, <laughs> I'm fine doing the AAC next, as if I have a choice. Oh, I was about to really say, you don't have a choice in the matter, so you should accept yeah. it. But. Uh, UConn definitely at the bottom of that. <laughs> no reason, <laughs> yeah, the, no then, reason yeah. to spoil that. Man, I, was, I really was hoping he wouldn't fire his defensive coordinator just as, like a, as a thought experiment. Like, what happens if you don't make any damn changes? What happens when you have the worst defense in the history of the world and you don't change anything? But anyway. Um, okay, this has been a loose, shoddy. You're impromptu. lucky to have gotten a show, by God. Wow. Good customer service there, Bill. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a little rough and rushed this week. We've had every flavor problem. But also, uh, I will say this in our defense. Sometimes we kick around like, should we take a break? And Bill is always saying no. <laughs> like, should we take a week off? Hell no. 
So maybe this was the week we were supposed to. Maybe we did take a week off. Yeah, fate was telling us not to podcast this week, but we did it for you. And yeah, Friday I think I think I think in a way we did take the week off. Um, so yeah, we're real loose. We'll do questions next week. We'll build it out. We'll be back at our normal time. Uh, we did want to hand you guys something, and apparently we have to start with a Texas State uh, segment. You better make a note of that because there's no way in hell I'm remembering that. How can you not know now? Like that albatross hangs for a week. Because like I'll I'll go to bed tonight and wake up tomorrow morning having forgotten it entirely. That's how many teams left on the preview. Uh, so through this weekend, as you listen, uh, by what like Tuesday or Wednesday, you'll be done with the Sun Belt. Uh, Wednesday is the last Sun Belt team. Thursday is the power rankings. Okay. So if we record, I assume we'll record before the power rankings go up. I'll I'll give you a sneak peek again. Ooh exclusives all right see you guys next week yep